Bridgeman and Popstar present exclusive. Hello, Frederick. Hello, Danny. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Dennis. Hey, hey, guys. I'm good. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about a song. The first song we wrote, the three of us together, here at your studio. True. So tell us a bit about yourself, Frederick Tomander. I am a Swedish man. I am 52 years old. I am a songwriter and a producer. And I have lived on Mallorca for nine years. And uh, I've been a musician all my life. I started out playing in bands when I was a teenager. And that carried on um, through my 20s. And I had bands and I toured and I released records mostly in Sweden and Scandinavia. Um, I lived in America when I was 18 and 19 and went to music school in um, Los Angeles and then in 2000 or in 1998 I started writing songs for other artists and that is something that I've done ever since yeah and I live on Mallorca and I love the life here and then seven years ago we started building a studio which we sit in now called Palma Music Studios mm -hmm. and that's where the three of us met exactly you Frederick are our mentor you know that Ooh. right Thank you, thank you. I mean, when we built the studio, me and my, my studio partner, Johan Lundgren, we uh, didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, people like you started showing up and uh, you just haven't left, have you? No. <laughs> that, was, that was great. No, but actually, as they, the whole idea, if you go back to the whole studio uh, thing, was that I came here 2014 uh, with the idea of traveling from Mallorca to the different sessions that I would have. The location of Mallorca never occurred to me as that would have been a hub for music because that was just a place where you can live and have a great life. So I would just continue traveling and doing the the sessions that I had done uh, for 25 years earlier. Yeah. But it turned out that many people that I worked with um, found out I was here and wanted to come to Mallorca um, understandably now after, I mean, it makes sense. So, uh, uh, but I had no studio. So it was either having all the artists staying at my house and trying to uh, improvise or uh, doing something else. And that something else was actually what my um, studio friend Johan Lundgren uh, came with that idea that why isn't there a great studio in Palma? Um, and we one late night decided that we should build one. So we found this property that we are in now and we started dreaming. And then two years later, we had built this place and uh, we opened and you guys were very early in. So uh, yeah, that was... Dennis was earlier than I was, right? Yeah. yeah a so. few months, I think. Or maybe half, I don't know. Yeah, but something a you, you bit earlier. You and Alex Me and up. Alex. I think the first one was Rene Shades, actually. Yeah, yeah. Rene was, he was here from the building. <laughs> from the he building was, with the first was, stone. Yeah, he was <laughs> carrying stuff and like, pulling exactly. cables. So. Exactly. So Rene Shades is uh, one of the engineers in the studio, too. Yeah. A member of a famous band called Pretty Mates. He's a rock star. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, I remember when we started coming here that you wanted to have like a songwriting team, build a songwriting team. And you talked about K-pop, J-pop. We didn't know a thing about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because I had been, um, I've been writing songs for many artists from uh, all over the world for many years, I, like I mentioned. But in 2006, I had, um, I wrote a song for a Swedish artist and that song turned out to be a big hit in Japan. So I was invited to go to Japan the year after to write for all these artists. And that 
started my uh, little venture uh, writing for Asian artists. And uh, through Sound Graphics, the, the company in Tokyo, uh, I have ever since then uh, been writing for and with artists and writers for the Asian market. And uh, in the beginning, the K-pop thing wasn't that f- big. It was just locally in Korea. Uh, but now K-pop is like the biggest music scene in the world, basically. So um, it's changed a lot since 2006. So uh, in the beginning, it was focused on Japan. And um, then when you guys showed up here um, five years ago, uh, I had also been writing for Korea and, and, and done things there. And uh, I just basically said that this is an exciting market to work for. And, and uh, you and me, we wrote that Yippie song very yeah. early. Yeah, that's the first song I that I was involved in this type of music. Yeah. So and that, I, that... I didn't know what I was doing, honestly. Oh, but went... it was so fun. Yeah, that went well. It was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. So, uh, yeah, that was a number one in, 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 in Japan. In Japan, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was fun. And I think that I basically just gave you the brief on how it works and how the how the bands the how what the difference at least used to be for between between J pop, K pop and the rest of the world's music. I would say nowadays uh it's a lot of cross pollination so that you see you see actually Western music sounding like K-pop and the other way around. So the difference nowadays between a K-pop band and a band from other places is not it's not it's not as big as it was before, but because um, they influenced each other. But yeah, I guess I guess told you guys about how when they have a lot of members in the bands, you need to think melodically about the structure of the songs, and you always need to you can never be boring. You can never have blank space in a song where you just leave empty parts for vibe it always needs to happen something so yeah. you remember how the first song went that you wrote for the japan you remember the chorus the i yeah one? and so, uh, suddenly i see what you mean to me okay. da, da, da. it was like okay, this cool. up-tempo house pop thing yeah uh they translated it to we can make it and it was the band was arashi but the song okay. had been released for we Can Make It was the Arashi version of a song called Love Is All Around and that was released by Swedish Agnes Carlson and Ricky Lee from Australia and also Soraya from Spain mm-hmm. and uh, Okay, so they released it a couple times and oh, then yeah. they did a Japanese version of it or? Uh, Agnes was first Yeah uh, Arashi was second Okay And then Judy Jody Williams uh, the winner of Idol in South Africa did a third Soraya was fourth uh, Ricky Lee in, in, in Australia was fifth, and then there's another. So we have six releases on that same song for one during one year. That was and a good good song. That man. was a good song to write. <laughs> yeah, but that, so, so that song opened up also the the chances to work with Asian artists. So, but I didn't know anything about it at the time. I actually went to t- uh, Tokyo the first time to write, thinking that we would be writing with Japanese lyricists, but that's not the way they want to work. They want to write in English. And then translate. So it was a bit of a culture. Yeah, I remember even Dennis, you got uh, songs where they were sung in Japanese. They wanted him to do like an English version. So they would again translate it to Japanese or just remember that? I, yeah, a pretty much I didn't do anything. Thank you for, for saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I didn't do anything. I mean, they sent me, they sent the melody. Yeah, there's. A, I don't know, I remember the, which song it is. I mean, it's not, so they sent you the melody with 
gibberish or like phonetics, and then you put English lyrics on it, and then they translate it ah, back okay, to okay, Japanese. Okay, okay. Yeah, so they send us something already in yeah. Japanese. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that what, from what I've understood is that the they the lyrics are so important in Japanese, uh, so they always bring in the lyricists and uh, late on to just like write the story of the of the song and that could be like that could be over a whole album they want a certain vibe and they, they write about like specific things and it's, you know it's yeah. very personal for them uh, but they want the sound to sound like an international song so that's why they want the sound of english but they, then they translate it so yeah. have you ever met a japanese lyricist Has yeah. anybody ever seen? You ever seen yeah, one? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I, know, I know several of them. <laughs> exactly. I know several of them. But and they, today, they're, they're, they, they, first of all, they're a lot better in English right now than than at least my experience was uh, when I started working with them. That yeah. they, 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 it's much more often now that they will write uh, the the English lyrics as well. But but they, um, yeah, um, they're existing. Okay, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the song we're gonna talk about today. It's called Exclusive. It was released by a Korean artist called Taemin, who's a member of a big band there called Shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a funny story behind this song. Do you guys remember how? Not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Not at all, <laughs> Not right? Really, not so much. <laughs> cool. I think we got a, a lead for another band, which is something very useful. And I remember that I started something and came up with a drop, which yep. I thought was the chorus. And one of you came and I think it was you, Frege, oh, this is a nice drop. And I said, no, this is a chorus. No, it's a drop. Okay, it's a <laughs> drop. And you suggested to put some chords to the verse, to the pre-chorus. You did come up with some ideas. I did something and you thought, oh, yeah, we should finish this song. And we brought Dennis in. You both started like playing with melodies and we started building from from there yeah now i remember a bit more yeah so we were throwing melodies back and forward like yeah. and, and you were like this works as a verse and this is a chord yeah cool i remember mm-hmm. so and we had a deadline i was left on my own to finish the track and i didn't know how to <laughs> properly finish only on my own yeah but i managed i remember we had to send the song on a sunday There was no one in the studios except for me on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I, I had uh, Sergio Jopis. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. uh, he played player. on it? Oh, he played on it. Yeah, he's the one that made the leaks, the synth leaks, and oh, he helped cool. me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like finish the 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 song. We, I was trying to have a more a musician feel on it than a program one. Okay. I remember that since. I had to make a decision. There was something with the bass that was a bit weird. And I made him change some things and send you all the tracks so you could, uh, Frederick, finish the mixing because you recorded the vocals with Dennis and uh-huh. and you called me on the Sunday morning. Danny, this is not the bass that we had decided to, yeah, I know, but I had to change this. And you were, I'm not sure about it. Ten minutes later, oh, now I get it. I understand what you did. And you just finished it. And we had a finished demo that we, the three of us liked. We sent it. Um, obviously, it wasn't chosen for that particular uh, lead. But uh, I think pretty soon we got a, another 
email saying, oh, we're going to pitch this song to this artist. He's very interested. I think we it was a fast cut, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so and then so basically did we have to change anything you remember? Well, once uh, we send the uh, instrumental tracks so they could uh, rewrite the lyrics yeah. in Japanese, mm. they changed something in the melody in the choruses or in the drop uh and, and the key, right? You said? And yeah, and mm. they made us uh for the final yeah. when they decided to go for the song, they asked us to lower two semitones. Oh, the, the okay. whole, it to lower it, which is crazy because I have the shittiest range I think on the planet. So normally people <laughs> never ask me to lower anything but, but, that I sing. But there's a lot of no, falsetto. No, but, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of falsetto, falsetto in there. We we only had to lower the the tracks, not the vocals. No, but they sing it lower. They, than, they sing so it it's lower. Like, I guess because of timing's range, vocal range. Yeah, but we did do this falsetto. So yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably sings in yeah. full voice more often. But yeah. cool, it's a great song. Are we listening? Have the people that listen to this heard the song already? Uh, my idea is them to listen in the playlist we have for the podcast, or ah. buy the CD or the full <laughs> DVD. <laughs> Import the, the CD from exactly Korea. I think. The fat package. Actually, the song was released in Japan, and later it was re-released in Korean. He resung the song in Korean. Oh, for another. Yeah, that's true. It was twice. It was released twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was a really nice surprise to see the song in both markets. Yeah, yeah. They could have done a music video. Yeah, well, yeah. They did never did it, right? No. But there are some live clips, right? Or I don't know. I don't I think know. I saw something live with that. Yeah, because we we can't see everything that it's released over there because they use all the platforms. So ah, that's right. Um, but yeah, it was a, a a great song to write the three of us, and it was really fast. Once we had like the drop and the excuse to finish the song, yeah, yeah let's do this course and change the tempo, and and we did the demo, and then they did the rest. Good. It was a great collaboration. It was a lot of fun and quick, yeah. like I said. Mm. Um, yeah, and really enjoyed it. And uh, I still hear, and when I hear it, it's still a good song. It's yeah, still it's sound a, fresh. It's a good pop song. Yeah. Like it does, yeah. it's like, I mean, because it's only one guy singing, so there's not mm. so many different parts. True. Yeah. True. So you actually listen to it. And, and I, I remember that I listened yeah. to it like not so such a long time ago. And oh, no, it's actually well, not that, the I bad. Mean, it hasn't, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I think that the, a lot of the, a lot of the world's music has come together in a way. So so it's not, I mean, what used to be very left field and, and contained a lot of chords because they like that in Japan, they, they like jazzy chords and stuff. That has now blended. So it's it's much more of a kind of a sound of, if you listen to BTS, for instance, yeah. like they sound like any boy band or any, any like that today. Which is interesting. It's also lots of American people writing stuff for them now. No, for if sure. you like look at the cuts, it's like yeah. lots of, even like so, Ryan Tedder and those people, they like yeah. write songs for so, them I mean, now. So what happened? I guess that originally when I when I came in, I can't. I think I came in late to the table writing for Japan, and that was in two thousand six. I have friends, uh, you know, Fredrik Hult and, and those guys. Mm. They have been writing for several years before me, and uh, huge hits. And this is during the time when a lot of people didn't really know about. Um, the Asian market that much, and the, especially the American mar the American writers who and I have worked a lot in America with a lot of the writers there, and it was just never on their radar to write something for an Asian artist, and it's so specific, so it didn't really work to translate a normal pop song to Japanese because of the 
the ingredients that need to go in and the different way of thinking with the melodies and, and, and structures of rhythm and stuff like that. So it was it was only those who really um, had the energy and, and the will to go in and do it early that did it. Um, but once people figured out how many albums they still sold in Japan, in Korea, uh, of course, when people hear about the amount of money you make from that, everyone's eyes attention attention started <laughs> to, to the go only back. thing I want to do. Yeah, and now and now <laughs> I I just I was in Korea in, in February now, and I had meetings and spoke about the situation right now, and uh, they said it's yeah it's mental. You have the like the top people in the whole world. Everyone wants in on the on the Korean records because that's now selling in every country in the world so yeah the competition is a lot harder than it used to be so i guess with uh bts having yeah. broken a lot of walls yeah. it's like oh now it's cool to write for well yeah now they see the impact it has and also if you look at the i mean in america you see blackpink and bts and all those bands they are now they are billboard number one when they yeah. release albums so it's a big deal i think i mean right now isn't it is it one guy from BTS who has this song called Seven Days that's been like top num number one Spotify Global for three weeks already, four yeah, weeks guess, with like so so like Yeah, they're still doing it. And and I think that the they are so like so efficient and they're so good at producing this content and there are so many steps ahead in, in, in both marketing and the way that they have the loyal fan base um worked out. So you know, if you, you, I think you have to compare it to when Backstreet Boys were at their height or when One Direction were at their height. So they're just so good at making that happen. Yeah. And and the pop star phenomenon, they really build it and it's in their culture. I had an interesting discussion just a few months ago with someone in the music industry who, who was very tapped into all the, the Spotify trends and things like that. And um, this guy talked about... Um, South America and, and Indonesia uh, okay. and, and Africa, West Africa, uh, to keep an eye up on those markets because they are now growing extremely fast in the Spotify trends and stuff yeah. because they have such uh, loyal fan base. Yeah. And they, um, so that is the algorithms, they see this. So Indonesian artists now are starting to become really big and, and the Africa thing and stuff. So it's very interesting what the next territory that going to pick up and become what Korea became. I mean, yeah. we're going to see, we're going to see some interesting things yeah. happening, I think. I mean, you can see it with Spanish and Latin music pretty much For right sure. now. If, if you I look mean, on, like if you, again, if you look on Spotify, Top Global, it's like, nearly half the songs are in Spanish right that's now. incredible it's and, crazy but that's been going on for a few years now of course yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah of course so let's see who's next but do you have well, just, just a side note is this Spanish produced music a lot or is it like Miami produced or South American produced it's, it's mostly South America produced okay. like, and, and South Americans living in Miami uh, yeah, okay. I mean Miami's like the, the yeah. center right now for Latin music but Colombia like is very big. Puerto Rico, there's lots of yeah. people coming from there, and there's of course also lots of stuff coming from here. But but Spanish pop music still sounds a bit different than than that's than what, what I was they thinking. Do. Yeah. So it's like it's like the reggaeton kind of thing that's like more more from over there. Okay. But I mean, they come here too to to yeah, work. There's you know lots of writers from here too yeah. that do stuff from there. But Miami's always been like the most important bridge, I would say, yeah. to the United States, obviously. Yeah. Um, because of the Hispanic population there, it, but it's it's not recent. Eh? I know from no, that's like forever. When, 
yeah, from the nineties, I already yeah. kn knew that the big ones were. Yeah, we could, I, mean, I, from I, I worked with Luis Fonsi in the early two thousands before Despacito and all that, and he's I think he's from Puerto Rico or something. He's a he's from that whole yeah. Miami crowd, and we did stuff with him, and he was singing in Spanish, and and then he translated to English, and so so yeah. That, Where did that you thing, do that in in Miami? We wrote it in Sweden. Okay. He was in Sweden, but I never tracked his vocals. But I think he, I think we met him in Stockholm. Um, and we wrote the song and then he recorded I think he tracked the original vocals for our song which was Secret or Amor, okay. Amor Secreto which is in um, Spanish they did uh, they did in America so they recorded in Miami um, now that you're talking about that there might be people that don't really understand the process behind writing a song and producing a song for, for an artist that it's not in the room with you people think that uh, when artists release a song or they've been in charge of everything and it's not always like that yeah i mean i i come from being in a band myself like a, a singer in a rock band and playing in rehearsal places and stuff so when i started writing for pop artists it was 98 and the, and the whole big swedish wave of pop music was just on the way up so we started writing for bands like uh, the 18s was a teen pop band from Sweden who had done ABBA covers basically and they did their second album original songs and uh, me and my friend wrote half that album and that became really big and then uh, one of the first songs we wrote as songwriters got picked up by the American band NSYNC with Justin Timberlake and and uh, that was a, a good start because then we were invited to work with all these artists around the world and that was during a time when the artists themselves didn't write as much they weren't like they didn't demand to be part of the writing so yeah. there was a lot of just writing for artists uh, so that's what we did we we wrote and produced a lot we we did really well produced demos and we had great demo singers always that would sound like kind of like the artists we wanted to pitch to whether it was a like a Britney Spears type of thing or if it was a boy band so we we spent a lot of time working on those uh, demos and i think at the time we were then very much in line with what people liked uh, with this whole swedish sound that came out so uh, yeah that was really interesting the times changed then so we did this for like five years very intensively traveled a lot and then 2003 2004 this is when napster and uh, everything changed in yeah. the music industry people didn't buy cds anymore so then i started working with rock bands going back to my roots of being in a rehearsal place with yeah. artists so then the dynamics were different so then i would become like this um i would, me and my friend anders would become the <laughs> the we would be hired as the chorus detective so we would like yes yeah, so we have some riffs uh, but there's no chorus <laughs> so we would come into rehearsal places uh, with the artists or studios and write and we would specifically be good at like picking out the good parts <laughs> cutting down yeah. bad parts and a lot of times making sure that the guitar player and singer didn't kill them, each, each other yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> stayed friends and so we worked with a lot of the rock bands we worked with the, the German band Scorpions and we do, with the Swiss band Gotthard and the Swedish rockers Back Our Babies and uh, and uh, Swedish band Heat and, and a lot of the those kind of bands. And that was during a couple of years when, when I did a lot of rock music. But also at the same time, I wrote songs for the Idol winners because Idol came out then as well. And that was when this whole song that ended up in Japan happened as well. So, What was your favorite time, your favorite thing to do? Uh, I, well, I... Th um, if you had to go back, if they would say, you know... Well, I, I mean... <laughs> If you look at the world how it is today, uh, 
it's it's never been a better time to write because it's so accessible and you can do all these things yeah. but it's not it hasn't been a more difficult time either to write because everyone can write and everyone all the artists are there and you need to be in the room with the artists to really get the song in the album when once you get the song in the album there's not really that amount of albums being sold anymore and it's streaming and it's it's a lot of challenges today but if i had to go back in time i mean i wouldn't mind being in 1999 again and just like living in that world because yeah. it was during a time when when a lot of money was being spent on music and we they flew us everywhere with nice plane tickets and yeah. we were put up in great <laughs> hotels to record some songs in the studio in america for an artist that sometimes they even got dropped and they you know sometimes yeah. it became a hit and but it was a it was a lot easier time for me back then but i was also 27 at the time so uh it was a different time but yeah, yeah. i mean uh, yeah i wouldn't mind a week back in 99 again but <laughs> then yeah I, I, but i really do love today as well i mean i love uh, mallorca and palma and palm music studios and the stuff that we've done here and the creativity that happens when people are uh, together in the space again now post covid and stuff and that, like working with people like you and seeing uh, stuff happening because a lot of time back then in in the old days I would spend enormous amount of time just by myself yeah. and um, this is pre autotune pre co uh, <laughs> melodyne this is like the production took a long time and we didn't have yeah. quick computers and we had we had outboard gear and everything was like it was messy expensive uh, and but it was it was fun in its own way. Okay, I have one last question for you from my side because I know that you're a very tech-interested guy. What about AI in music? What is your thought on that? Do you think that's going to change? It's going to have a big impact? you think that's not going to matter at all? Oh, for sure it's going to matter. Uh, I think that, the, I mean, we've we've only started seeing a small movements. I mean, here, here at Palma Music Studios, we, we already see people like using ChatGPT for lyrics and things like that. But I, I keep following this quite closely. So I, I think that we're going to see so much changes within a year you know everything from producing tracks to um artist voices we already see that you can like you sing a demo and then you just thought oh, why don't i have another type of voice on this and it really works we've already seen a lot of changes so far and this is only like what is it like eight nine months since we started yeah. seeing ai publicly um i really think that there's going to be huge changes and uh, it's going to be tools that we haven't even thought of yet. And uh, the way of creating music is going to change. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, in, within a year, Logic will have AI uh, built into Logic. So you just go, I want a, I want a tambourine. Give me a tambourine, 16th note. Give, yeah. me, a, give me a bass line that sounds like uh, Jackson 5. And, and it'll really happen like that. Now, what's going to happen with copyright? What's going to happen with uh, immaterial, like... Um, immaterial rights where, where IP, uh, intellectual property, I have no idea. Uh, I guess that uh, lawyers will still have a job in a year, even if, even if it's easy to do contracts in GPT as well, because it's a nightmare when it comes to, um, to uh, IP. Yeah. What about songwriters? Do you think they still have a job in five to ten years? We're already seeing that it's tough being a songwriter. I mean, I, I, like I compared to 25 years ago, it's already a big difference, uh, but then again, there were fewer of us back yeah. then. And but now it's also more. You can you can put out music in more places today. Yeah. I always think that there will be a place for a great song, a good story, a, a, a performance. I I'm, I'm a 
optimist like in my in my core i'm an optimist and i really do believe that that we always want to hear performance we always want to hear art and how it's going to be portrayed i'm I'm a bit like i don't know how we're going to consume it though Uh, spotify has in one way saved the music industry in another way it's it's done made a lot of problems for specifically songwriters but that's more to do that us songwriters need to think more like an artist we need to uh, have we need to think more that we're co-owners of what we create not only the the musical copyright but also be more part of the actual creation of the work yeah. but that also puts more pressure on you you can't just sit home and play guitar and sing and send a demo to someone you need to be part of the whole creation of the thing which i think uh, by working close to the artist, taking more responsibility, being more savvy when it comes to um, your trademark as, a, as an artist. Uh, that's more important. We didn't have to worry so much about that in the late 90s because um, the business was another, it was in another way. But so today I think that wherever, it's never going to go back to where it was. Yeah. Change is happening all the time, more faster than ever. Uh, we're going to have to adapt and I'm yeah like I said I'm both excited and and terrified on where we're heading but it'll be interesting cool thoughts anything else you want to talk about any yeah I think food food (laughs) exactly food (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) so thank you Frederick for spending some time with us thank you sharing some of your thoughts thank you for having me rich man and pop star (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> um, ya está. Yeah. Ya está. Ya está. Okay. Good. Thanks. Thanks.